2: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we're giving away a bunch of brand new Blackmagic gear. Yeah,
1: cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Blackmagic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the
2: music. Hey, welcome to the 220th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Peter Spriett. I'm Matt Enlow.
1: And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we have director Kabir Akhtar on the podcast. He has directed and edited many of our favorite shows, and we do have a crazy ex-girlfriend nut hosting this podcast.
2: I do love that show. Uh, And also, his current show, Never Have I Ever, which is out on Netflix now, which is so great! Yeah, I'm like mad at my
1: wife, because i like, can you please watch the first three episodes so we can watch the first Oh, so you together? can catch up? Yeah, yeah. And then the, the next day, I'm like, can you please watch the first four episodes so we can watch the fifth <laughs> one? I think I'm on like seven or something, but I'm trying to like go really slow, but it's so good, right?
2: Yeah, we recorded this episode uh, kind of a while ago now, and um, basically the next day after we recorded with Kabir, my wife and I finished it, it was just like, it was just like popcorn. You're just going so fast.
1: It's got a tone that I, can you think of any other show that has that same tone?
2: I mean, I think that there's a world where you can compare it with sex education, where it's got like a little bit of a meta thing to it of like, it's a little throwbacky. It's a little eighties, a little nineties intentionally. So, but I think that especially with never have I ever, it's got like a, an updated sensibility basically that um, was really fun. It's like, totally universal and specific all at once, which is exactly what you want out of a comedy or any storytelling in general. So, yeah. well done, Kabir. It's a good point. Yeah, it's like
1: American Pie, but done in a cool, modern... Sure, or any John way. Hughes
2: movie or whatever, or like, you know, it's got Babysitter's Club vibes, but also is like not tired or lame in the way that sometimes those cliches can be. You know, like it's still about the the people who want to connect with each other and figure out how to grow up together and all that stuff, but it's in a a really fun, fresh way. And the joke writing is super strong, as you would expect from a Mindy Kaling show.
1: The other awesome thing that we talk about in this interview is just how Kabir was an editor and he used Matt's famous be in the building method to become a director on all these T V shows. And it's great to yeah. hear like a like a really specific example of how to get to direct TV that way.
2: The other thing that really struck me about the conversation with Kabir is that, you know, this is a guy who's like nominated for a bunch of awards. He's directing every show that like, like I would love to have this dude's career. It's like, he's just crushing it nonstop. But the thing that we learn, the big takeaway besides editing is important and be in the building is that the grind never stops. Kabir is constantly out meeting people, talking with people, Raising his profile, helping other people, like going, the, on podcasts, going on podcasts, going up, yeah, sure, genuinely, right. But like the the, yeah. the networking part of it is still a big part of the job, and that that doesn't go away. Yeah,
1: and we've, I mean, we've spoken to so many TV directors at this point that like it is quite evident that if you want to be a TV director and you want to make that your career, you need to meet a lot of people, not just other directors, not just writers. Mm-hmm not just network executives, but everyone, producers, DPs, editors. It's just, um, it's an ecosystem that you have to plug yourself into. It's not like Mm -hmm. you just show up with like an amazing short film and you get picked up.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So really wonderful takeaways Kabir's super funny and really engaging. And so it's a great conversation. Yeah. Before we talk to Kabir, I just wanted to
1: remind people we have a Patreon page. We are, uh, potentially nearing the end of the first wave of this covid pandemic (laughs) who knows who knows what's going on but there are a lot of places that um, have opened back up and uh, quite scarily but uh but yeah maybe if if you're if you're back at work you feel like you get something from the podcast and you want to throw us a a dollar a month or something go for it if not no worries but we uh love our patrons and you are what kind of fuel us to keep going because we know that that people care about the podcast and feel like they're getting something out of it. So thanks for that. You can go to patreon.com slash just shoot it pod
2: to learn more. And if you're not a Patreon type, if you just want to get a little bit of swag, uh, but without the recurring small incremental fees, you could always just buy a t-shirt. We have a new store up. We've got a bunch of awesome designs. Um, your classic just shoot it logos, but also a few um, listener designed of t-shirts as well they get a decent uh, portion of that money but also like if you want it but we also get a little bit as well which is pretty cool all through T Public, it's all print on demand so it's pretty rad uh, I myself have a validation t-shirt that's like basically like festival laurels but instead of what festival it's from it just says validation three times and i get compliments on it which is weird
1: because you only got into two validation
2: festivals that's true that's true yeah yeah you have you put three laurels on your shirt <laughs> it's, it's slightly confusing but it's actually the same validation festival twice so oh, okay and how do people
1: find those just shoot uh, com and then they click on the store
2: link yep and i believe actually just shoot a pod. Com slash store will get you there as well
1: well with that, let's talk to the beer. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us
2: while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes episodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens.
1: Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use
2: coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks.
1: And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a
2: cool password if you're in the U.S. That's Just Shoot It 50 off. Check him out. Let us know how it goes. Okay,
1: we're here with Kabir. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: So you have uh, directed and edited many TV shows that we all love, including the newest show on Netflix that Matt and I have just watched, uh, Never Have I
2: Ever. I'm not exaggerating i was almost late to this recording because we were watching it
0: it's funny it sounds like you were saying that you were late because you needed to catch up and watch it for this podcast not because you were enjoying it so much (laughs) yeah yeah no
2: no. we'd done our homework already and my wife and i were like oh well we should keep watching and then just got sucked in that that binge watch culture man mission accomplished
0: thanks especially i mean it's funny because it's a weird thing to have a show come out now on the one hand Feel like normally like, you'd see the cast doing talk shows or mm-hmm. other press appearances or we would have had like, a premiere party or whatever
2: well i think that it satisfies a very specific uh, vacuum in tv right now there's not a ton of like, feel good fun engaging relatable comedies out there i
0: mean so you can't you can't control for these kinds of things that we shot the show in the fall yeah. i mean i literally was shooting these episodes starting in uh, august which i had been on to i think four five other gigs since then. Wait, like, how
1: many TV episodes have you directed in the last
2: year?
0: Well, I, yeah, I don't know. Twelve-ish.
2: Well, look, let's let's uh, back up just a little bit, right? Because, Kabir, I think you've got a wonderful resume that's worth talking through. You started as an editor, right? So tell us yeah. about how you got that first major editing gig. I
0: mean, when I first moved here in a million years ago, 98, I had come out of film school and the plan was well whatever happens first a pa job or an editing job i'll take it because so dumb. you could have
1: been the best first ad in the business by now if You could have been gotten- yeah
0: i it's 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 wild because i really just kind of thought well the goal since the beginning was to be directing i don't know brand name or high budget or whatever just cool fun narrative content and from the very beginning it's it's hard to know how do you even get there i always tell people now like try to land as close as you can to the kind of work you want to be doing. Meaning if you want to be working in features or TV, or obviously it's very easy to get pigeonholed and hard to wiggle around from column to column before you start moving up. But I I, I wish someone had told me that. My first first job was editing, me and my then roommate, who we were editing business partners for years, was editing a little uh, music video clip show for a network that went out of business. But within a year, one of those producers that I met there called me and she was like, hey, uh, I'm producing an episode of Behind the Music. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I've fired two or three editors off this show already. And we have like a week left till this thing airs and the cut is a mess. And if you want to come in, you can have, I remember I turned around um, after I got this call and she was, cause she was like, it starts tomorrow. And I remember turning around to the uh, producer I was working with and saying, today is going to be my last day. Because yeah, there's some jobs you have to take. I've been working in this little company, this little upstart that wasn't, it was clearly going nowhere. This was the place it was sure. going. And Behind the Music was such a hit show at the time. I always tell people now that sometimes people are on job A and then they get a call about job B. And like, should I do it or should I not do it? And I'm like, well, there's obviously every case is different. You gotta consider whether you're gonna burn the bridge or not whether there'll be consequences, the ups and downs, but on a sliding scale, I always say, for example, if you got a call tomorrow, someone said, hey, would you like to come and direct the next Star Wars movie? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes. You will quit your job, and you're going to go do the Star Wars movie. So it's just somewhere between here and there, where is it, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting having a lot of good friends who are editors. It is kind of a long-term gig. Once you end up in those shows that have their own life cycle and their own kind of community of people, right? Ideally, a network TV show, they're pretty lucrative they're pretty long term and it's a little hard to know whether or not your show is going to get picked up for the next season or not and so like deciding to jump ship can be a pretty significant decision because it it could really burn that bridge and who knows how long the new show is going to last for you know what i mean
0: oh my god i mean the biggest and best career decision i made in you know i've been doing this now 20 years was to jump ship at some point I mean I've obviously jump mm-hmm. ship a lot I mean the whole front end of, of my career was built on going from here to there to there to there to there and so on because the places that I was working at the beginning they were paychecks yes. and I was having fun doing it but it wasn't what I wanted to do
1: but were you learning to become a better editor
0: it was an incredible training ground. I mean, like, 20-something-year-old me was really cocky and was like, this is fine. Guys, get out of the way. Let me show you how this is going to be done. Here's how we're going to make <laughs> this show. But even from the very beginning, it used to just say, turn around and say to the producers in the room, they'd be like, you've got this footage and none of it goes together and none of it tells the story the way you want it to or does what you want it to. And if you had had me shoot it, then this mm-hmm. wouldn't be a problem.
1: You really would say that? Absolutely. That you would recommend people say? Like. I don't
0: recommend that anyone do anything <laughs> I've done. I feel like it's a uh, use at your own risk. I, I don't know that it was always well-received, but I was, I, I was working constantly, consistently as a freelancer from the you know, first few months. And I, I think it's because I was very good at what I was doing. Or at least I was coming with a strong point of view. It was not always a point of view that meshed well with a show creator, or producer that I was working with. But I mean, if you don't have a point of view, I mean, what are, you, what are we even doing at all, right?
1: Right, as an editor, you're saying even.
0: Well, any of us. As an editor, for sure. I mean, editor, director. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, no matter what your creative role is on a show, it's all about having a perspective. Otherwise, if you're easily replaceable with somebody else, it means you're not bringing enough of your own point of view to it or uh, some creative contribution that is uniquely yours. And that's why people get hired. That's why people hire all of us.
1: And so is that you? that's even true like, if you're coming in to edit episode 7 of season 3 of Mad Men. It's vital. Never-
0: Vital. I mean, like yeah, absolutely. Because
1: the the rhythms and the angles and the kind of mm-hmm. cinematic language have been established and <laughs> obviously they're being tweaked season by season and a new DP does this and a director. But in, in general, there are guides, right? And sometimes it, are there situations where you're like, ooh, this would be fun if we did this like, crazy quick montage here and someone's <laughs> like, no, we don't do that.
0: No, I, I think, but you're right as far as shows like, having their own language. But it's like the English language. I mean, there are rules and we can all craft sentences that sound like we said them, the way I talk, and mm-hmm. the way you talk and all this, we all are just doing our own thing. We are still operating within the parameters of an established language here in a verbal language, but also within a cinematic language. I mean, I used to go in on shows, all kinds of shows, and just do one of one episode, two weeks, half of an episode of something before I was able to crack into working in scripted, big name scripted shows. Well,
1: actually on that note, I'm curious, do you think as a director on Episodic TV on a show like A Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, who do you think has more creative input um, on an episode, the director or the editor?
0: Oh, I, I think it varies because you're having different inputs in different ways. I haven't been editing now for uh, a couple years. And <laughs> editor me would always used to say, I mean, and I, this is the advice I would give directors when they would show up on shows. That, and I still believe this now as a director full time, that it, it's not the director's show. It's the editor's show, right? Yeah. I mean, the editor, when I was cutting a show, I mean, I'd be there all season, let's say. And a director would be there right. for two weeks um, and then gone.
2: And how has has your perspective changed now that you're directing full time? Do you feel Do like you have more ownership than maybe the editor version of yourself? gave a director credit for?
0: I don't know. I'm aware of what I'm doing. I know that I'm bringing a lot every second of the day on set. I mean, obviously, it's such a dynamic and fast-moving environment. There is constantly stuff happening, and there's the smallest turn left, turn right, so you've got to just decide on and and keep moving. Plus, just the creative contributions you're making in terms of shot selection and performance shaping and all this. But ultimately, when you're sort of freelancing on different episodic series you're you know you're not there to make your movie right? you're the you're, guest in, in, yeah, in there i mean for the sure. great great advice that i was given long ago and i can't claim credit for it but it's really smart two things one was you show up on a series like and they hand you a piece of paper with a circle on it and they say go color in this circle however you like just bring us back a circle and the other thing was you know, for episode people wanting to get into episodic directing, it's it really i'm glad i heard this before i started doing it was that you show up you really especially your first one man it's exciting you something that you work for a long time and it takes a lot of convincing a lot of people to get the opportunity and like you know not fuck it up there's a lot of pressure and you're really excited about it and you show up on that first day and you're just pumped and for everybody else there it's just monday yeah, yeah sure yeah
1: yeah, well, even on a, an indie feature, though, I feel like there is that thing, and we talk about it on the podcast a lot, where it's like the director is like, this is my big opportunity. I got 100 grand from this person and 20 grand from this person, and we got this movie, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to kill ourselves to get this done and jump off bridges mm-hmm. and everything. And the rest of the crew is like, dude, this is your movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not jumping
0: off a bridge. No, absolutely. I, I think that I have seen lots of directors run into trouble oh. coming in like that.
2: I think that's maybe one of the gifts of being a freelancer in episodic, right? Is that like odds are pretty good. There's going to be a few other jobs coming around the corner. Do you know what I mean? So it's not quite so do or die. Whereas like an indie feature that you've spent three years fundraising for and five years writing, the stakes just feel a lot higher. And so crew member, because that is their livelihood, it's definitely a different sort of energy that they're bringing to the set, right?
0: (coughs) Well, I mean... Yeah, that's why I never did it. Um, <laughs> truly, I, I think that there's I so much respect. There's a lot of friends who've gone out and made their indie movies that way. But I mean, it's hats off to those people. I, I'm not built for that. For going out and finding the funding, and then I mean, that's all. That's that's tough.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so let, let's talk about that transition that you made from editing full time to what's that first kind of big TV show that you directed? Well, again, I,
0: I think it comes in in sort of steps. I. I, mm-hmm. I I found that when I discuss this with people who are interested in the sort of small details, I found for years, I read these articles or interviews or Wikipedia about someone whose career you are really into or someone whose work you hope to emulate or admire or whatever, and it always says the same thing. It always says that they started off this, and then in 2011, they got their big break to direct this movie. Sure. And you're like, what? Wait, you just skipped yeah. the entire story? We should
2: make a podcast about that.
0: That's the stuff, especially for people who are trying to advance career-wise, all of us, me included, I was doing this for a long time before I was able to get to a plateau where I feel like, okay, good, things are really on solid Mm -hmm. ground in a different way now.
1: It's something we've heard from, we have a lot of good friends that edit a lot of TV and are also directors and have directed their own things, but not really broken into TV. And they've tried to, on occasion, say, hey, I'll edit your pilot or I'll edit on your show if you give me an episode. Is that a type of thing that ever came into your orbit?
0: Yes. Yes, it is. It is, for sure. And again, like I said, even from the very beginning, tapping on people's shoulders, asking for a shot to go shoot something, Mm -hmm. it was mostly like, your footage is messed up. Have me shoot it. It won't be a problem. And I weirdly, (laughs) incredibly started meeting with some people who'd be like, okay, go shoot this thing. You can shoot this part of this thing come on set and we're going to be out in the field shooting this concert or shooting this a
1: second unit or a pickup day or something
0: yeah i wish it was on anything that high budget or fancy but it was literally grab a camera and contribute we're going to pay you basically zero to do it and i was like great just just to have the opportunity and just to get the experience because i mean it's hard to be in a situation where you're learning on the job when the stakes are really high i've definitely seen this happen to people where they have gotten big opportunities before they were ready which is like i'm not trying to be judgy about people saying we well, were not ready for this but like, <laughs> just in terms of the preparedness that goes in like in a very broad way it's not just enough mm-hmm. to be like well i know what shots i'm going to use and i like, just you know, how to be able to speak to certain producers about certain things and where the pressure points are what you know, bears not to poke and so on so you
1: were getting these small directing opportunities on mm-hmm. reality unscripted stuff
0: yeah i was and I, were they calling them directing? Not really. I was out shooting like small bits with like one person and just trying to create whatever I could. But
2: Basically, you were just saying, like, oh, this is reality stuff. I know there are going to be some story beats I need to hit. I yeah. can go shoot this and kind of be a utility player in that way. Yeah. and Know that to... you have the pieces you need, basically. Exactly.
0: Because, I mean, ultimately, yeah. it's about pieces. I've said this yeah. many yeah. times, but right. editing yeah. is like cooking, and yeah. directing is it's like shopping for ingredients.
1: That's interesting.
0: Having been on the cooking end for like 20 years of getting ingredients from people. You get a lot of ingredients that don't go together and I had a lot of practice What's and an example in, of like, something that doesn't go like continuity uh, isn't matching example? or lighting oh, okay. or yeah. cilantro
2: and a pie is kinda of yeah weird. I was saying chocolate yeah. and onions is a thing I of yeah. about now yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah delightful
0: <laughs> I think they sell that yeah. at the alcove yeah I don't know uh, it's oftentimes in coverage shots that don't go together Look, it takes a lot of work. You have ideas when you're shooting to like set up a shot, and it's going to be the specialty thing, and you're going to do this. and It doesn't always make it into the cut because the producers don't always like it or it's not always right or whatever.
1: It's hard to get off a specialty shot that doesn't call attention to itself as being a specialty shot, right?
0: Well, I think that's kind of the fun is trying to find a way that doesn't make it look like you're trying to find a way to make it look like something, right? <laughs> you, know, it's, you don't want to be like all peacocking around, being like, look at me, look at this sure. dope thing I did that has nothing to do with the style of what you're trying to shoot or the, or telling the story. In an effective way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens. Sometimes they don't get get in there. But I was on the receiving end a lot of times of footage that just not did not cut together.
2: Right. Even though it's yeah. cool. So what's interesting to me about that is that I'm sure you've been in situations where, as an editor, you fixed that. Right? And then the director, like, he's maybe like, ah, oh, man, Kabir didn't even use the shot I wanted. We spent all day on that shot. Uh-huh. But then they continue to, to work. Right? And and uh-huh. what ends up happening is your pigeonholed as the editor who can solve all these problems, yep. right? And that director is a director who does really great work. And you're both in <laughs> the buckets that you're in, and yeah. you're all you're stuck editing, and they're happy directing. How did you make that leap out? Like, tell us what was that first TV show? You have to edit bad. You have to edit poorly. Sure. Well, because make, make other directors look bad. It is a thing that's <laughs> people get pigeonholed, right?
0: For sure. There's a long answer to this, and just shut me up when this gets too boring, because it's real, it can get really detailed. But I'll try let's to go, go for it. it. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. But again, this is, I think, the, this is, I think, the part of those articles that people always skip past. That, that
2: is, literally, that's what the show is about. Let's okay. hear it. Yeah.
0: So after seven years of editing for some people, I had started editing for uh, a guy who was extremely helpful career-wise, a very smart, talented guy who was directing movies and yeah. episodic and also reality, who's sort of doing it all. Um, and I got a shot to cut a uh, pilot for him just because I was in the building cutting a reality show for him. And he replaced the editor who was on it. And he just, I think he basically just walked down the hall and was like, Do You want to cut this scripted thing we're doing? It was a cable uh, half hour pilot. And I was like, Oh my God, of course. Are you kidding me?
1: And are you in the editor's union at this point?
0: No, I was not. Uh, I don't think it was a union show and at the time. And I think still you can cut up to 30 days of a non union. 30 days of a union project but not being without joining yeah oh interesting which i didn't i mean there's a lot of this is again really detailed but it was stuff i wish i had known you know
1: no but that stuff is a lot of times i guess you a non-union editor would think well they'll never hire me for this job because i'm not in the union
0: yeah and it's important to realize that that is not always true the there's a lot of gray area with some of these things that i think people can use to their advantage in order to be able to advance career-wise and also in order to be able to learn and get better on lower budget projects anyway that show it went great it did not get picked up which is fine so i did that a couple years later not even actually it was that same year the director i was we were at a mix for that pilot and he mentioned to me that there was a series on comedy central that he was uh helping consult i think he was consulting on it and they needed a a director to shoot a short film for it like Mm -hmm. every week two minute thing and there's a union gig and he offered to refer me over there because he knew that directing was where I was trying to get to. And, he was and really you were kind of like
1: a comedy guy, too?
0: It had kind of happened. Yeah, I'd sort of fallen in with those people. I wish I had known at the beginning, but it turned out that it's something I, was, I really loved. I mean, I always loved it. <clears throat> but sure. I, I was excited about the opportunity. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding me? I will totally do that. And it was funny because I went to that meeting and it went great. And at the end of the meeting, they're like, by the way, you're in the director's guild, right? right? Mm-hmm. Now, I had also learned a few months prior to this because I had had a you know, similar, was able to get a meeting on a Comedy Central show to direct a short film every week, and meeting went great, and they were at like, the end of it, they're like, by the way, you're in the DGA, right? And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm not. And they're like, oh, man, that's too bad. We really... oh, and I was like, oh. And I went home, and I was sad. And like, a week or two later, called the DGA, and I was like, hey, how do I get in? How does that work? And they're like, well, as a director, you have to have one DGA credit to get in. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, because I, I, I told them the situation, and they're like, oh, that one? can be your one
2: that would be it yeah
0: so i called him to be like i called the show back and i was like hey guys actually i uh, i totally it's fine i'm totally in the union now i can it's this is fine they're like we've hired somebody else it's been two weeks What's wrong with you? <laughs> no yeah it was
1: called homeland <laughs>
0: can you imagine <laughs> star wars it was actually star yeah. wars so then when this director offered to put me onto this comedy central show a few months later and they said in that meeting are you in the dj i was like Yes. And I immediately filled out the paperwork. I got hired, and that was my first one. And then I was directing a bunch of those sort of short comedies for a while short comedy stuff for Comedy Central or MTV or Spike or whoever it was. And then again, a few years later, I was editing a show for Tracy Ullman, who was awesome. And uh, when I met with her about the job, she and her husband, who has since passed away, but he was producing, they mentioned that they were doing a show, uh, they were making a show, a half hour comedy in india like a british half hour they're gonna shoot the whole thing on location in india and i was like oh my god and again like, things that i don't recommend you say to people but <laughs> i was like Yo, who would be the perfect director for that show and they're like oh my god who i was like me which is like a thing i mean i was, I was meeting them about editing, the editing their show you yeah, so you were I, not hired yet I, no not at all i just walked i'd met them like 10 minutes prior but <laughs> they hired me to edit their show and then after a couple of weeks they offered me two episodes of that show that was a british primetime half hour called Mumbai Calling. Which wait, is my... so did you have to pitch on it or anything or like make it a lookbook? book? Any... No, I mean, it was a series that they were already doing. They just wanted someone to come in and do a couple episodes. And so I was like, great. They offered me episode like, two and wait, four. Wait, so did
1: they watch your other directing
0: meal no. or anything? I think we just worked together for two weeks. And so you, this is where I think one of those big, this, you mentioned this earlier too, but how much of the value of just being in the building and having the relationship was such a critical component. Because if you're looking to hire someone Two people come in off the street that are, let's say, equally qualified. Are you going to hire the one you and have worked with before and understand that they are in a creative mm-hmm. space and in an interpersonal space that you, A, think is right for your show, and B, that you can just be around and collaborate creatively together? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to hire the stranger?
1: Right. Well, yeah. I guess something that I, I always think about is, when, and I'm sure this happens to you, Matt, too, when I'm sometimes up for a job that's kind of like a step up for me, like a little bit of a stretch for me to get, and I start saying, oh, this is for ABC or something. This is for Netflix. Let me see who I know at Netflix. Let me see who I know at ABC. Sure. Let me start. And I'll find all these connections to executives or producers you know, just through Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. But they're connections just through friends, like, it's it's like a friend of a friend. It's not anyone that can vouch for me as a director. No one mm-hmm. that is familiar with my work and is like, oh, Oren's a great director. Oren's super creative. Oren has a great eye. Oren's amazing with actors. So I do sometimes wonder if those the connections that you need to have with people i guess in my mind i feel like they're going to hire you as a director they would want to see how you direct but is that not necessarily
0: your experience i have found that to be the least (laughs) true thing yeah
2: tv is a is a funny thing like that right i I think orin you're kind of coming at it for you were about to ask like oh do you ever do treatments or lookbooks or arithmetic or anything that's especially pitching Yeah, yeah 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 and i think it's because In the commercial world, we're so frequently strangers to the creative agency. Maybe they've worked with a handful of people who are there, but for the most part, and there's always three directors who are are all pitching against one another. Or even if we're not strangers, right? Sometimes they'll be, oh, you
1: did this awesome comedy thing, but we're doing a car thing with kids, so that's not, you don't know how to do that. Completely. You have to re-pitch yourself, and they're like, we have this great director, she does cars, amazing. And you're like, yeah, but we know each (laughs) other.
2: It's been a while since I've talked about it on the show, but so Kabir, just for your reference, I used to work at Comedy Central for kind of for like five years or whatever. And so every once in a while, I'd be in a meeting and we'd be brainstorming, like, oh, who should direct this thing? And a couple people would just name their favorite people. Yes. Their, their favorite directors. Absolutely. That's maybe they'd pull out their phone or scroll through imdb every once in a while but for the most part it was just like off the top of my head okay well absolutely. kabir's great Orin's great so and so's on the amy schumer show so we shouldn't ask him they would just rattle off a few names and well, that look, would be the list you're working off with
1: but then why would kabir get it over Orin? Off because my meeting? last
0: name starts with an a and i think when people look at lists i come first <laughs> yeah it.
2: or like one Orin, two absolutely. people know kabir and one person knows Orin. you know what i mean
0: zoom out really far and remember that we're all freelancers a friend of mine said this to me once i mean forever ago and it stuck with me. We're all getting hired on a whim, in a way. Qualifications, experience, style of work, whatever all these things are, personality. But ultimately, none of those things matter if you're not actually on someone's list. I mean, you get a call or an email from some friend who's looking like, hey, we have this show and we're we're looking for a, you know, we we need an editor for the show starting next week. Do you know anyone who's available? Okay, so if I've heard from some friend recently then I'll be like, if I'm just driving, and I get this, you know what I mean? I get this
2: call. Sure, yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, Matt's available. You know, I just talked yeah. to him, and he's looking for a thing or whatever. But now if you and I haven't spoken recently, and I don't know, and sure. I just assume that you're busy, like, you don't get that job, you know? Not because you're not yeah. qualified. Not, it's, it's just lightning has to strike. The Things have to line up correctly. So, I mean, there's a, I think there's a vastly overlooked and underrated part of this entire career, which is just doing that kind of work. But don't you think
1: I I'm, think I might be wrong even before I say this? But don't you think that there is a difference with directors, the directing role, and pretty much every other role, with the exception of maybe cast, because at least on a TV show, don't you have like the creator wants to do two episodes, then the star wants to do an episode, and then this? One. Is there a situation where a showrunner is going to say, "Oh, we're desperate for a director," unless it's maybe a pilot? Or... You mean
0: desperate for a specific director, or just we are, can't find one?
1: Yeah. It, is there a sit where someone's like calling Kabir and saying, "Hey, we need a good director for
0: this. Do anyone is that is that a call that people make? Yeah. I mean, most of the time those calls will go to the agencies, but the, before they go to the agencies, they're going to friends. They're going to showrunners. They're calling showrunner friends, studio yeah. execs, friends who are making these suggestions. We just had we just had John direct this show uh, for us," says someone at ABC, and yeah, he was, it was great. A great
2: time. Yeah. yeah,
0: and the episode right. came out great. It was just a critical, critical thing. The editor and me used to fight against a lot, yes. which was like, well, this episode came out great. And well, does it doesn't mean that you know, sometimes it was despite <laughs> these directors. And don't get me sure. wrong, I cut footage for so many very good directors who clearly, cleanly understood having a point of view, camera movement, performance, uh, being efficient on a day, treating a crew well. I mean, you just watch, just be around and watch and see what like, things you mm-hmm. don't like seem to work and what don't work. They weren't overshooting and they weren't beating the actors into submission, but they also weren't undercovering and leaving me as the editor pounding the desk. Being There's only two usable takes of this line, and they're both obscured by this other person crossing the background, crossing the camera at the time, so they're not usable.
1: Yeah, So, but I guess in all those examples of, oh, we just had Michelle shoot a couple episodes of Crazy Ex for us. She was amazing. You'll love her. But that's the story you hear about the directors that I guess are already established. Right. Okay. Is there what how, how do you get in if you're not established, I guess, as a director? <laughs> well, because that, even even that yeah. Tracy Ullman example, I mean I'm assuming the shooting in India thing gave you a point of view. Yeah. That, I mean being brown definitely seems to have helped end.
0: for sure. I mean look, I'm you know, I'm from Philadelphia, so I'm not like I grew up here. <laughs> <all>. Right, right, <laughs> right. Know?
1: But but when you're pitching yourself, Instead of saying, hey, this is how I would shoot it, and I would use this, and I thought it would be really cool if we used soundtrack from this time. Oh you my know, God. you're just saying, oh, you're shooting in India? I know that world. Let me direct it, right?
0: I don't even think I went that far. I just, <laughs> I just sort of let this. You want people to can make these connections in their head as best as they can. Have more of an effective Inception-style conversations with people. Uh, I was thrilled that they gave me the shot, um, and it was great. It went great. I mean, I went out there and I directed those two episodes, and when I was there, they offered to give me more episodes, there, which was great. So I went up staying for longer than I planned, which was an amazing experience. But I'll tell you, from well, the career game end of it, they came out really well. I was really proud of them. Yeah, I definitely walked in there being like, I know what I'm doing. And I watch them now, and I'm like, they're good. I could have done better. I just didn't. Those are my first sure. three that I ever yeah. did. You know? But I came back here to, after I was done, we finished editing them in london came back here was really excited i was like check this out we have done these three episodes and <laughs> it's funny because like, meeting after meeting i had at studios they all were like we love this show it's so funny we can't recommend you for any of our shows because your show is not american really
1: hmm. because people didn't know it or because it the way it was shot was differently
0: i, I truly so
2: there's a frame rate difference power <laughs> right. versus nts we're shooting 25 not 24 yeah, yeah. you see so yeah. it's a whole different yeah, yeah.
0: i don't know man if we were shooting with two cameras in English and doing jokes with actors. It's a pretty normal 22-minute situation. But I think that it just was something that people just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. I also think that that was 2009 when there was not as much of a recognition that mm-hmm. other points of view were important, representation mm-hmm. was not as big a deal. Yeah. And now, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but I also think that the international TV that people were used to watching then were all white people, you know? And this is a show with like all brown people and I think that was very, it just looked foreign. And it mm-hmm, right. just seemed unusual and like exotic and strange. So I found also at the time that another piece of career advice I give people is that when I got to direct that show, it was really an exciting opportunity but also it was like suddenly career success on the graph went really high up for those few months It's like oh my (laughs) god here we've arrived directing an episodic show this is amazing finally getting the chance
2: international travel yeah you know like this is
0: dope like you know getting like work it out and like really saving you know and i was able to obviously apply so much of what i knew for cutting because i was like we don't have to shoot these things like we can't use this shot you get suggestions from people all the time which are very helpful But sometimes you're like, we can't use it. Let's move on. We'll save time in our day. We only have however many minutes in a day.
1: Yeah. What are some of the things that you see now in those episodes that you would have done differently now? Is there anything
0: technical? I think the biggest thing is I'm a lot better at staging scenes, Mm -hmm. actors blocking, et cetera, camera Mm -hmm. blocking around actors and just being a bit more dynamic and interesting and trying to keep stuff looking authentic but also shooting it in a way that's efficient i have a director friend who's very smart and she will point out how sometimes you end up you'll see less experienced people line up a scene with say three actors or whatever or multiple actors just all in a straight and like one after the next in a line and she refers to this as birds on a wire which is very it's very funny way to describe it she's right and you know it's just harder to it's faster to shoot for sure you're lighting along one axis now just to down this straight line you just be covering each person turning around and talking to the next person But humans don't stand that way. There's sort of sure. a lack of verisimilitude there. And just, you can feel the inauthenticity when you're watching something like that. It feels, in a way, it just fe- can feel inexplicably cheap to <laughs> viewers. It doesn't feel like it's a real thing that real humans do. Right. I yeah. think that when I was shooting those first episodes, I would come in with like, you know, really meticulously planned out diagrams about like, how the scene was going to be blocked and what we were going to do and when actors would go from here to there, and, which I, I mean, look, was great and I still plan these things out, but the mistake I was making then was that I was imposing the plan on everybody else, as opposed to now now I walk onto a set and I always have a plan, a really detailed plan, and usually a couple versions of a plan for how to shoot a scene, but I don't show it to anybody. I know what I'm looking for, but there is, you only get people's best original ideas spontaneously once, especially in episodic TV, where the actors know their characters better than, you know, I do showing up to do two or three episodes a year. You don't want to be Mm -hmm. dictatorial about it. The more democratic you are about it, I think, You end up not only having a more successful day and people, you know, feeling like they're a part of it and valued, but also having a more successful end product that feels more organic.
1: But are you not having meetings with your crew ahead of time saying to the DP, we're going to be filming in this direction, saying to the AD, I want to do a few shots here in the kitchen area and then we're going to go to the hallway?
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. But usually, I'm trying to make sure we're prepared for all these things. For eventuality A, B, C, D, and E. Let's just be prepared for these things. We may not use them. Which ones of these can we be prepared for that do not cost a lot of money or time? And if we're going to spend the money and the time, then let's make sure we're actually going to do it. I mean, it's all kind of a balancing act with those sorts of things. But so rather than me just impose a vision and also restrict everybody else from having the opportunity to conceptualize something on their own and then bring it to the table... Which is, I mean, they're professionals at it. They're professionals right. at their own physicality and moving around and understanding like how they can best tell the story that's true to their own character. So it's they'll know it better than I will. Right. So I find yeah. it's much better if they can contribute to that because then you get great ideas from
2: people. And right. what, what I love about that mentality, though, is that that shows that you're collaborative, right? Like That proves to them that you want to work with them and their ideas are valuable and important. But then also that the act of reshaping things a tiny bit it just lets them know that well you had a plan you're just listening to them you were saying before about like when you're younger it feels like oh i need to have the answer mm-hmm. right the the flip side of that is like oh you don't want to feel like just letting them go willy nilly then they won't trust you i used to say things like well, let's just see how it falls off the truck right And I knew that I knew what I wanted. I wanted to see how it was going to land. But every once in a while, you would see that twinge of like, oh, does he know what he wants? Or am I doing his job for him? Yes.
0: It's important to balance that for sure. You're turning the dials all day long on like how much you're saying about laying down the law versus just being wide open to other people's ideas. Or how much you're asking other people what they want to do and how much you have to be like, no, we have to keep moving. And I think
2: that's just something that comes with experience. But also I think if it's informed by the knowledge of what you need editing-wise or or what's going to make your day a little faster and a little smoother, those little tweaks, people notice. That's the sign that you really know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can think of a lot of specific examples of where this has come into play. I I had an episode of a show that I walked onto the set. I'd met the cast before, but it's Monday morning, seven. And for schedule reasons, it only worked out that we had to start with the first scene of Monday morning was a seven-person scene, which is unfortunate. You've got to roll your sleeves up and go for it. Yeah. I tried to find a way to consolidate it so we could shoot it quickly but still have it interesting. I was like, once you've kind of come in at this point, why don't you have a seat right, right here? Because a lot of times the actors would be like, okay, where do you want me at this table, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm like, here, why don't you get here and here and you'll just come, when you come in, you end up over here. And, you know, she was like, well, but I feel like I would end up at the head of this table for this reason. And I was like, okay. Now, in my head, I knew that if we did that, because I had spent a lot of time on this ahead of time, if we did that, it would change the geometry uh, the camera blocking the whole mm-hmm. scene in such a way that it was going to add a lot of shots because now mm-hmm. we need reactions of certain people looking in multiple different mm-hmm. directions. And I was like, ah. Uh. And I, I mean, I swear, this is like 7.02 in the morning on Monday. And I'm like, fuck. So I was like, okay, great, let's try it. And, you know, maybe, I mean, look, maybe I'm wrong. You know, sometimes you get in the space and while we're doing a rehearsal, I'm working with the actors, I'm also walking around it over and over just to keep right, looking at it from right. different sides. And I was right. like, "This is." I could see that it was not going to work. It was just—it was going to just be much harder. And again, editor meet knows that a lot of times you get scenes where they've shot way too many setups and you're like, Oh my God, why do they shoot so much? You don't sure, need all this. Yeah. So we did a rehearsal and we're going to run it again. And I was like, Hey, if you move over here, if you're comfortable moving over to here, we'll get out of the scene an hour earlier. And she was mm-hmm. like, okay. And I was <laughs> like, <"All right." laughs> yeah, no, I think, yeah.
1: I think that's awesome. Like I try to like, share the technical stuff with the cast as much as I can too. Yeah. There's some people that don't care. They're like, Yep, yeah, whatever, wherever you want to put the light, wherever the markets, I don't care. And other people are like, what It's you see? Down to here, my belly button, or down to my waist? And I uh, think that's also, if you're on
2: season three of a show, all these ensemble TV actors are much more in tune with the timing and all the things that it takes. Whereas, again, a commercial, saving an hour for them isn't as exciting. Do you know what I mean? Like, that hour means they get to go see their kids a lot sooner. Yes. Well, whereas on a single-day shoot or two-day shoot, it's not quite the same.
0: Things are certainly different in ep- season one of a show, where it's still sure. new everybody, and... Look, we were talking earlier about the roadblocks and the connecting of the dots to get from point A to point B career-wise. You know, and I started out cutting nonfiction cable. And to have gotten to a point now where I'm directing like premium scripted Netflix type shit is, like, very, very exciting. But each one of those was a step. When I mm-hmm. came back from directing Mumbai Calling, I, I realized that I, was, I had gone up so quickly that there was sort of no superstructure around me to keep me sure. up at that level. Like, I didn't know all the studio execs that I needed to know. I didn't have those relationships. Right. They, my agent situation wasn't that good, and like I didn't have all the experience, the credits. Were, there's a lot of these things that you kind of have to build it one piece at a time, and it's frustrating because it feels a lot like, well, I should just get there.
2: Was, I did it. I did a bunch of episodes of a TV show. Yeah. It was a big deal. I did, yeah. I
0: did three episodes of this primetime series.
2: So let's talk specific. Was it literally through editing that you built that superstructure that you're referring to?
0: Absolutely. A couple more years, and I wound up in rapid succession. I was no. cutting part of the the opening film for the emmys 2011 Mm -hmm. which was again with people who i loved working with and there was a reason that they needed to shoot one extra scene or whatever for this opening film and the guy i was working for was really really excellent dude to me for years was like he had directed it and he was not available the night they needed to shoot it Mm -hmm. so he just literally he was just like you should just go do it sure And I was like, oh, man, I remember being like, dude, that is great. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful for the opportunity, even though I know it was an easy call because I'm right here. And he's like, it's not Mm -hmm. an easy call at all. He's like, you probably would not get approved by the network to do it.
1: We're just going to do it. And I was (laughs) like, okay. And was it a celebrity that you shot? Yeah,
0: yeah, it was great. It was a really fun shoot with Jane Lynch and with Leonard Nimoy
1: yeah oh cool oh cool and then
0: a few months later i got to call to edit the opening film for the oscars that mm-hmm. billy crystal was in or like, billy's in all the different movies and like it's a sure, classic we yeah. all movie lovers we've all yeah, seen yeah. that and i was like, oh my god working at the academy awards and like billy crystal that's incredible it was one of those things where i was like i got a chance to never do going back to the emmys no exactly i was like i was like this is like i'll be so jealous if anyone else got to do it please have me do it have me do it and that was great too because doing that i ended up you know working with billy and then like they had a thing that came up at the end of the, the day before the Oscars they wanted they wrote like a one minute scene with Billy Crystal and Melissa McCarthy like mm-hmm. a backstage at the Oscars scene that we shot the night before and they asked me to direct it so really got to do that That's yeah, I like, feel like this
1: advice you're just kind of throwing it out there but it's pretty amazing you know I think when new filmmakers move to LA and they're trying to make it in Hollywood one of the things that you hear a lot your first couple of years in Hollywood is stop telling people that you're an aspiring director that you want to sure. be an actor that you're kind of tr- dabbling in writing tell people you're a writer tell people you're a director tell people it doesn't matter if you have no credits or if you're just working on your first script now you need to own it. And I think what you're saying is kind of the like, the extreme version of that, which is make the connection so that you're in the room. And when someone asks you to recommend a director, you say, hey, I know the perfect person. <laughs> and it's me. <laughs> and it's me.
0: Especially, I think, having already talked to those people. Listen, again, if you look at it as a continuum, there's a point at which you have a like, large body of work and no one questions that you can direct this right. movie or direct this episode or whatever, right? And over here on the opposite side, there's a point where you have no body of work, right? So as you're slowly sliding along and you pick up one and then you pick up two and now you've picked up four and it's sort of just expanding. You get to a point where at the beginning you're trying to convince the people that you, who trust you to let you direct something small. At least this is the mm-hmm. way I was going. I mean look, I mean, sure. look there's right. people who have famous parents who got to direct a giant studio feature when they were 28 and that's cool for them. But yeah. absent that, it's sort of a gradual acceleration of showing that you have work that you've done that people have seen or have heard of or can watch, right? while also earning the trust of people by spending time with them in a creative space. And it's difficult because you work with PAs who are talented, who are nice people. You obviously want to be respectful of people all the way up and down the crew list. And you can see that they want to be filmmakers, which is very exciting Mm -hmm. because it was was all of us. But it's hard to be like, it's hard for a studio executive, and it's hard for the network, and it's hard for the executive producers sometimes to say, okay, person who's the PA, we like you, we get you, you understand, but we haven't seen you do anything like this on our show we can't put you in charge of this three million dollar episode
2: right right which you know, yeah can't. I, I you know, think that. that's the thing just to kind of circle back to Oren your point about Kabir you you're you're just proving the fact that like oh being in the building and being the guy who's like hey i'm I'm a director let sign me up put me in the put me in coach right absolutely I think there's two important things one you're you were editing most of the time right in which case your contributions. To the creative, were huge, invaluable. Right. You understood what was happening in the show. You're aware of network notes. You probably know plenty of the executives. Right. How the machine works. So it's not the same as a person who you know, was day playing on the set. It's like, well, wouldn't it be good if this happened? You know, right. like you, you have an informed opinion. This is a
0: very smart. That's a very smart observation. I, I think that that was a vital component that I had been missing. Right. Doing right. What I'm by calling and under, not understanding quite the level of details. I was good at figuring out Mm -hmm. how a day could go, but I took some time off from that. I said to focus on just expanding that knowledge and having my Mm. reps at the time, my manager was setting up a lot of great meetings with these executives. And again, when I was younger, my first agent would send me out to these meetings with you know, execs at the studio, and you go sit down and talk with them in these general meetings, right? So you go <laughs> and just, it's friend dating, basically, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I would right. go to these meetings and they would go well, and they'd be, love watching your show. We're going to, here's the shows we have coming up. We'll keep an eye out for whatever is coming up before. We'll mm-hmm. talk with your reps. And I was like, great, awesome to meet you. And then I would right. leave and i call my agent. You're
2: go ahead. You're also, you're good in the room. Thanks. That's a thing that's important as well, right? Like, you're personable, you're likable, you can talk, yep, right? Not every filmmaker is that, yeah. right? No, for so, sure. It's important to be so, able to
0: connect. and You, know, you right, want to have like, enough confidence that you're showing people, you can put me in charge of your multi-million dollar project, right, and right. it'll be okay. Because I have a track record, or at the time I didn't really, but you're just still, there's definitely, you got to like, talk up a bit of a, you got to sure. talk it and up Sure, and you need it.
1: to know the jargon, and talk the talk, and understand.
0: Yeah, right? well, that was but the thing. It is, showed me
1: I had the same language. A mistake right. that I
0: used to make in these meetings is I used to go into the meetings and do a, try very hard to make sure that everybody understood that I know how to direct, which... Right. Not You're only, like, oh, yeah,
1: when they clap the slate, which, by the way, we sync with the sound, the audience is playing but, <laughs> yeah.
0: You say that, but I, I was definitely saying stupid shit close to that granular that I didn't need yeah, to yeah. be saying.
1: Some circular track, don't worry. Yeah, exactly. There's it. an 18-footer. <laughs> well, I don't
0: really like the 15-footers. No one is hiring you to direct a show based on that. They're looking for confidence, personality, competence, experience, and just a storytelling understanding, which just mm-hmm. oftentimes you can track in people just from having conversations with them, right? Right, right? So I would go to these meetings, and I would come out of these things i call my agent and i'd be like i met with so-and-so at the studio and it went great and my agent would say great we'll follow up and i'd be like awesome i'm in the system now my reps are going to connect <laughs> mm-hmm. with the the execs and they're going like to find a project for me which is absolutely not how it works right mm-hmm. the critical yeah. underpinning mistake i was making was not developing a relationship with those executives myself
2: and so what what would you have done differently going back in time how do you develop that relationship with those execs yourself
0: i think it's a matter of staying in touch with these people yourself your agents can follow up and they have a they're aware of where there are shows that are looking for open slots for directors or where there are pilots Mm -hmm. that are looking for which companies you've met with. But I, I mean, I do a lot of this track keeping track of stuff work myself. Mm -hmm. I have an Excel spreadsheet because I have spreadsheets and I can't recommend them enough. I have an Excel spreadsheet that tracks all the executives I've met, where I met Mm -hmm. them, when I met them, when I last saw them, what they're on now. I just update it myself. No, I don't think you're the first... TV director that's told us this. I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I think it's vital to be aware. There's the part of the job that is being on the set and directing, and then there's the other part of the job that is just keeping your career going. Hmm. I met up with big name director years ago. I saw him speak at something and. Went up to him afterwards. I just happened to you know know a bunch of all the stuff he'd worked on. And he was like, hey, that's interesting. If you ever want to get breakfast and talk more. And I was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. I'd love to do that. And he's like, he's like, hey, his office set up like a 7 a.m. breakfast in the Palisades. And I was like.
2: <laughs> which like, is pretty far Fincher. away from Silver Wake. Everyone.
0: And he was like a half hour late, which is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just sat there in this little breakfast place. I'm like, am I in the wrong place? I didn't know. I didn't have a way to get in touch with him, right? Yeah. And then
1: what did you. Because did, I've actually had like a similar type of experience where I met this director and I said let he said uh, let's have dinner or whatever and then once we were sitting down at dinner he goes so uh, what do you want <laughs> what do you want to talk about
0: <laughs> yes and I was like uh but I, I don't know right I because, I know you. like I just I just wanted to know like if I could do what you do <laughs> like do you do your yeah, friends yeah. want to hire me to do your job like you know like he's since then he's been <laughs> off like directing Game of Thrones so I don't right. think he's I'm sure he's doing fine but he said he said it to me too he was like I told him a lot about what I was doing and he it you know, was like you're doing all the right things to so just keep going and I was like man I just I'm spending so much time like connecting with executives and producers and doing a lot of this. And he's like, I do that too. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. if you are still doing that, at you're the top of the game, mm-hmm. I have nothing to bitch about. It's like bitching about traffic in LA. It just is what it is. You accept it as being part of... The game is the game, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you that like there's a rapid domino effect that happened following the Oscars, which was that I directed this thing and I edited the opening film. And a few months later, I was in the mix to possibly be hired on a rest of Development to edit the show. And at the time I had been, you gotta understand, like I, had been, I had known people who had been PAs and producers you know, who had moved up to the producer level by then on mm-hmm. network series. And I started getting calls about shows at NBC, abc all this mtv right to cut come and cut some episodes of our show and i was like oh my god that's great i've been cutting for 14 years at the time it's still like doing some stuff that i hated some garbage program just to get a paycheck and Mm -hmm. trying and failing to kind of break into something bigger and getting told at every turn You just haven't done one yet. And I'm like, yeah, I know know. that. That's why I'm here talking to you. (laughs) And again, I understand, as coming in as a stranger, are you gonna hire a stranger who has the wrong experience on the resume? No. Would you Mm -hmm. hire a friend with the wrong experience? Maybe. Would you hire a stranger with the right experience? Probably. But I got to the point where I had meetings with some of these people. A friend on an NBC show had said, come in, meet with our post team, and I did. And it went, great. And they're like, we're gonna be starting. We'll start next week or whatever. Here's a rate, here's a start date we just need a copy of your resume to send to the studio so they can sign off. And then hours later, I got a call saying, actually, you know what? We're so sorry. The studio says we can't hire you. I'm like, what do you mean? Why? They just don't think you have the right credits. I'm like, yeah, but who? I'll talk to them. They're like, it's too late. Okay. This happened on a couple different shows. And in shortly after the Oscars, in May of 2012, this happened on an MTV series. And I was like, oh my God, I used to cut all these MTV reality shows. And now MTV is telling me that I can't work there and then eight weeks later after the lightning struck because my friend was the guy i had been working for for a long time became an ep exec producer on arrested development mm-hmm. and i'd become his go-to editor for a lot of things and 20th century fox had offered the editing job to everybody who had worked on it in the past and they all said no. And to probably everybody else who they knew in their regular rotation. And they all said no. I know because I've spoken to all these people. I'm friends with them all now. But I didn't know any of these people back then. It, right. <coughs> then there a was a show to work on. There was a, yeah. There was a magic day. <laughs> there was a magic day. It was a Thursday when Emmy noms came out. I didn't know better at the time. The Oscars broadcast that year got nominated for an Emmy for best editing of that kind of uh-huh. show. And my name, oh, nice. And my name was not on it. Oh, okay. interesting. And what they had done is they had listed a bunch of other people. And they had <laughs> capped the number of people eligible to be listed at seven
2: yeah they they cap those the the list and also again it's probably just like whomever is filling out the form
0: yes and i was long so much
2: for your last name starting with a huh yes, yes.
0: exactly that was one of those they were going backwards time the teacher used to go backwards we're going to start with the yeah. z kids today zimmerman europe yeah, yeah.
2: and they're also really sticklers about changing it you can't yes. once it's submitted that's that that right? is so absolutely like, he, that So, like, the associate producer's name is on that list, Uh even though you're one of the editors, right? That's just me just guessing. Maybe that's literally true, but
0: no, it's it's that sort of thing that happened. And I was very—I mean, I was you know 31, and I was I'd been doing this for a while. I was like, oh my god, what? In the Emmys and the Oscars. These are things you see on TV, right? And as a kid, you're like, that'd be cool. You practice your acceptance speech in the shower, but it's not real. It's not really going to happen. But then that happened. I was like, oh my god, this is happening. This could have happened to me just now, and it didn't. And I was very concerned that they were going to win. Luckily, it did not win. But I also learned a lesson, so that six years later when I was editing the Oscars again. By then, I had learned enough that I joined the Television Academy, which mm-hmm. seemed really weird. I was like, I was at some networking event and a mysterious older man said to me, I was just at, we're sharing a high top table. I was just drinking and we're just talking to this guy. I didn't know who he was. And he was like, I told him what I was up to and what I've been working on. And he was like, are you in the TV Academy? And I was like, no, I don't know how that works. And he was well, it like, sounds like you have enough credits. You just have to apply and get some signatures. He's like, I'm a member, I'll sign you in. And I was like, really? Oh my God, okay. <clears throat> so he did and I joined. And I mean, you can look it up now on Emmys.com. It's super easy, right? You just go and look up your memory. You need this many credits and a couple signatures and you pay the fee or whatever. So I did. And that way, when I had edited this part for the Oscars, I was sure to submit it myself. And I started going to these just networking events and I've met a lot of people including I've met a bunch of former editors on Arrested Development whose names that I knew from watching just watching shows right so join late 2011 I do the Oscars in early 2012 I get nagged by MTV (laughs) in May of 2012 I submit in May of 2012 to the Oscars in June of 2012 I go to these networking events I meet these people in July I get nominated for an Emmy for cutting the Oscars and on that same day the nomination was enough to convince whoever it was at 20th to sign off on hiring me for Arrested Development. Right, yeah. In August, I started on Arrested Development and the TV Academy does an annual panel with a bunch of nominated editors. And they called, because I had met a bunch of these people at this event, they called to ask me to be on the panel. And one of the guys who was at the Academy called me to pre-interview me for the panel or whatever. Mm -hmm. He used to cut on Arrested Development and gave me all this great advice about how to handle things that I should watch out for, things that would sure. be work and all this. And it was really helpful. And in August that Arrested Development ended up cutting in the same hallway as that MTV show that told me I was not qualified. And <laughs> the, one of the producers on that show who was not involved in the me being hired or not hired debacle, mm-hmm. we were all, we all just sit outside and have lunch together every day. And he was like, tearing his hair out and I was like, what's up? And he's like, all of our editors are leaving. They're all going back to their fall shows and our schedule's running over. And you know, I was like, oh man, I wish I could help you out. He's like, oh my God, are you kidding? emmy nominated editor of arrested development they'd love to have you and i was like you guys you guys hear that they'd love to have me when eight weeks prior that show wouldn't touch me
2: sure so
0: what changed the headline changed with a lot of proper nouns emmy nominated arrested development and like following that then a couple years i cut it arrested which led to a second emmy nom and then mm -hmm. it went straight from that because 20th wanted to keep me around so i went to cut new girl for a couple years and then going back to your point you were making earlier but jumping ship is that I was working at New Girl and it was a hit show and you're not supposed to do this career-wise but I wasn't happy there it just I asked them about Mm -hmm. directing and they kept saying we'll see
2: sure you're in the editing bucket yeah right very much yeah and at
0: some point I was like I just don't think this is the right fit I love a lot of people that were also very good friends but it just wasn't the right fit so my editing agent had sent me a script for a musical pilot and I was like I remember I was like I love this show also I was a musical theater kid and so they hired me, and I left New Girl mid-season, which was, was mm-hmm. a scary thing to do. But I just felt like it was the right thing to do.
1: And this was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend.
0: <laughs> right. And then I was right, by the way. We did the pilot for Showtime. Showtime did not sure. pick it up. And then six months later, CW did pick it up. So I, we recut the pilot a little bit. I mean, we'd made this you know, raunchy, R-rated Showtime half hour and then we basically turned that into a monday night at 8 p.m cw one hour (laughs) but while retaining the same Mm -hmm. dna and not changing a ton i just Mm -hmm. recut as much as i could to make it longer and we shot a couple of new scenes and to think that i made that decision just because i felt i would be happier with these people Mm -hmm. and then what it ended up leading to was obviously that pilot got nominated then for an emmy and then i won somehow incredibly at the emmys for cutting that pilot which another network had thrown out right. which involved quitting it, working on a hit show to go just to be happier and then working at crazy x you know they knew that i wanted to direct and when the show got a second season right they and
2: you're you're part of the dna of that show at that point <clears throat> right I mean, right I'd... like you have like more leverage to be like hey you guys you have to let me direct some episodes yeah and
0: the best thing is i mean they were such great people about it they knew that i wanted to be directing they had said if like, we get a second season for sure because like, studios first season shows there's a lot at stake and they, they're looking to get a second show a season and so on we get picked up for season two and man that was it i got offered that one and i was jumping up and down it took yeah. from i mean there's the three mumbai calling episodes but to get one of these that everyone had been telling me for years you just got to get that one meeting after mm-hmm. meeting for 10 years people would be like you just got to get that one we can't give it to you
2: but just go get one somewhere else <laughs> sure yeah right yeah and call us when you got one and i'll tell you, you what know? happened <laughs> is i did that one
0: and it went great and immediately they started having top level meetings at places and every one of these offices that i've been banging on their doors trying to get in to just have a meeting for years suddenly they're all Mm -hmm. like i can't believe we haven't met
2: yeah you're like like, like, yeah yeah, i know
0: i've been trying very hard
2: all right so um but so kabir i think just to reiterate the big takeaway i'm hearing out of all of this is like it's not just be in the room but it's like there is a sincere amount of continuing to hustle and network right like you're saying like, oh, you're going to all of these, you know, TV Academy mixers and things like that. Those are not um, fun. You know what I mean? They're not, it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's still I love like a, it. I okay, love well, it. You're, but also, you're a social butterfly then. But I but, love, I love people. I'm like an extrovert. So no,
0: Matt, you
1: but, go to but
2: those things all the time. Those types you know, of I, My point is, is that it would be easy to be like, I'm an Emmy nominated editor. I'm a member of the, you know, TV Academy now. Like, I don't need to go drink well Jack and Cokes at this mixer and, like, bump into the same 20 weirdos that I always talk to. That is an
0: excellent description of it. However, (laughs) freshman year college me knows that free stuff is still good. It's not free, yeah.
2: though. Still, <laughs> I know how much those membership dues are—like <laughs> a hundred like, something a year. Like, yeah, you know. I, I think it's hundred eighty-six. <laughs> yeah, but like as an investment, right?
0: I mean, ultimately, you, you sure. have to spend money to make money, right? Like,
2: that is true. That is true.
0: I, I know I'm being facetious, uh, but 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 serious in a way too. That there's so much, there's so much you can do mm-hmm. in order to get the opportunity to do the things you want to do right like i i say this a lot too but like i it's the best way i've thought of this is that it's like your career it's like having a garden and i don't know anything about gardening but like every person you meet is like planting a seed Mm -hmm. It's like a seed you get and the mistake i used to make like i was saying before with those agency set up meetings is like i would go to these meetings with executives and I'm like great I got this seed I'm going to plant it in the ground and that's great I did it like, it's going to lead to a job mm-hmm. but I wasn't watering water it and now then you also got to remember <laughs> that a large percentage of the seeds you water aren't going to come up and flower or lead to a job you know right. and mm-hmm. some of them They're don't They're
1: going to go them. into house flipping.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Some are going to move home to like Nebraska. Yeah. And a lot of them Are not going to come up ever, and some of them might not come up for ten years. Mm -hmm. When I got hired on Arrested Development, I mean, the guy who was instrumental in that, who was a you know my friend and mentor, I had met him ten years before that. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I at Crazy X, when we got a second season end, you know, it's just so much of this is about being in the room. You know, like I had just. They knew that I wanted to be directing but also like yeah you're right I had become part of the i had helped like create the vibe of the show you know as a filmmaker they offered me that one and suddenly you know the way that these meetings would get set up changed beforehand it had been like you know my agent could set up a meeting with like a you know low level executive six weeks from now that would get rescheduled and as soon as that one aired it was like much higher level meetings in a week everywhere and like I said, they all, you know, everyone's like, well, I can't believe we haven't met. And then the next, we got a third season, and then, you know, I asked about doing two episodes, and they let me do two. And then coming off of that, because, you know, I heard for years. You hear for years. The first thing you hear is, you just got to get that one. You got to go get your first one. We can't give it to you. And then after that, the thing you hear from everybody is, you got to show that you can get asked <laughs> back on that show. Because that that shows that now you've... Uh, you know, that really, they were happy with you. Yes, mm-hmm. now you've actually done the work and it's been good. It's a clear, explicit um, endorsement. And then I did that. And then what you hear from everybody, I swear, is you just got to show that you can get a second series now. <laughs> and I, I remember I said to my reps at the time, I was like, are you serious? Is, are we going to keep moving the bar like this? Yeah, yeah. And the response was, no, after you get a second series, then we're off to the races.
2: And I was like, <laughs> Oh, on. that's good.
0: And I was like, they can't. I was like, sure. I've but been- it's
2: true for you, right?
0: Uh, I have found that it's true for a lot of people. Um, It was absolutely true for me. I did got that coming off of having multiple episodes of Crazy Ex. All the executives, I mean, you know, I've become friends with these people. I'll just go and hang out with them, even get a beer. But like the feedback I started getting was like, are you even going to be available?
1: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like the paradigm shift is your first meetings with executives were your agent calling them up and saying, hey, we've got a client we really, you'll really love. You've got to meet him. He's amazing. Beer. he's a rock star and they go you meet them and they're like okay great yeah we'll keep him in mind now these new meetings are now you're on these lists of potential directors
0: the list right right you always hear about the the mystical list that like studios have a list of pre-approved directors that, that you can only hire from
1: right or even if it's just that like oh i just talked to my friend who has this show and he said they worked with this director and he was great i think that that puts you into the ether in a different way of like, instead of giving someone an opportunity, it's having an opportunity to work with someone that already does this. Well,
0: right? it's safe and you, it's safe enough that you can trust them, you know. It's, you know, started moving really quickly, you know. You think about goals you have and looking to get to the point where you're full-time directing like this and it's going well and successful. And my girlfriend and I had a, you know, conversation. I remember in the kitchen, right as Crazy X was ending. And we were trying to figure out like, she's like, how many episodes would you need to get next season in order to be able to like, just, you know, you've stopped editing already now. It's been hard Mm -hmm. to stop. And, you know, I edited the last Crazy Ex, it was my show and I, you know, I loved it and I wanted to do the last one. But I hadn't done any that whole last season anyway. It had already been, you know, a whole year of not cutting. And she was like, how many episodes do you think you'd need to get? And I was like, well, you know, they pay really well. Uh, I think that we could get by if I got two in the next season. Two would be, would be really great. And I remember I was like three would be like unbelievable. It would mean that it was working. Like all the work we had done, like all the years and years, of my reps setting up meetings and me doing this, and trying to learn and get better and making mistakes and running dead ends and all this. Three would mean it worked. I remember she was like, but what about one? She's like, one would be a bad sign. Cause why did you only get one after all this? And I was like, mm-hmm. right. And then I ended up doing 12. <laughs> And I ended up being, I was actually offered 16. I just couldn't do them all because I was too busy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Well, so two strong to beer, know, right? Two yeah. people that you can uh, recommend when you're in your car.
0: Right. Exactly. I mean, it was, it's the, you know, it was really incredible to watch them, the calendar just fill up yeah, man. last year to be like, oh my God, this was the goal and the plan and the dream. Then it happened. Right. And then you know definitely had a few minutes now uh, through last season i'm so busy and then like as it ended to be like okay cool now what
2: yeah so that genuinely um now what right like i think that it's interesting to be like oh i've always dreamt of directing tv full time and 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 you're doing it Um, but that same sort of drive that kept you going to those mixers and going to meetings and all of that stuff like that's going to keep you there's still gas in the tank right you're going to continue to keep going yeah. so what do you what's on the horizon for you what are you dreaming of next
0: well that's what's so interesting now to be like the goal for so long you know was at the beginning it's kind of amorphous right it's mm-hmm. directing you know what is okay what does that mean you know and at some point it became like focus directing on like you know prime time premium big name brand mm-hmm. name episodic content
2: mm-hmm. great okay great and then it narrows down now. It's like, oh, it's like comedy and musical comedy are kind of your two sweet spots, right?
0: They have been, you know, and like I've been starting to get these one hours. I did a couple of one hours last year, which is also fun and different. You ones did you can... do?
2: Uh,
0: I did nine oh two and oh last year, which mm-hmm. was oh, cool. a, a really interesting experience because Wait, it that's wasn't... the
1: new the nine oh two and oh with the original cast.
0: Yeah which is a type of show i hadn't really worked on before but i loved doing it which is a
1: comedy the new one was kind of more of a comedy than the original right
0: right especially my one was i think you know they had hired Mm -hmm. a lot of they were they were bifurcated in a way it was some drama some comedy stuff and i you know did a couple episodes of a half hour for netflix that was we were talking about it was a half hour musical drama like it was like you know some jokes but it was very you know Uh uh, powerful. And I thought we were able to shoot it really beautifully. It is not out yet. It'll be out on Netflix in a few months. Called Julie and the Phantoms. It's like a musical, high school based, fun half hour. Cool. It was really yeah. And I was like, how can we shoot it like a comic book sometimes? So I was like, let's just start getting away with like trying different shit. You know, that's mm-hmm. like in that first episode you do, you're like, want to so make sure it all comes out cool. You know, want to make sure like it all cuts together. Let's like try to let's do like a cool thing or two, but let's not go crazy, right? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. just make sure we turn in something that is like that works. You know, right. so we have the opportunity to go do another. And by and the
1: last episode, more. you're just shooting it all on iPhones. <laughs>
0: yeah, basically. We're, like, we're just like doing like crazy lens shit and like, you know, what can we get away with, you know? But I mean, mm-hmm. I'll say, you know, you asked a question a while ago that I wanted to speak to, which was like, how do you get out of the box? Like, how do you stop yeah. cutting? Because like,
2: sure. yeah.
0: people start looking and being like, well, we can't, we can't lose you from post.
2: Yeah, like if you become, you know, a linchpin, right? If you're the keystone of an editorial department or whatever department you're in, even if you're just like a kick-ass PA, it's really hard to find people who kick ass at their jobs. So like, Uh it's almost easier to go find somebody else and it doesn't require them to reconfigure their conception of what you do. Do you know what I mean? (coughs)
0: Completely. But also it makes it easier for whoever's in charge to Mm -hmm. leave you where you are
2: right if you're good at it
0: um right. which is completely understandable i mean why change two things when so you could just change one thing sure. yeah, right yeah. like it's yeah. just one more headache and you know running a show is such a stressful full-time nonstop thing going on like there's mm-hmm. so much that you're in charge of And obviously personally for you when you're doing it it's very high stakes there's a lot of money involved a reputation involved responsibility you know to the studio and there's a lot of those parts going on so the less you can disrupt the better mm-hmm. um and you know I don't know, just having done some research on like management techniques and so on, you see a lot of examples, of people talking about it, how important it is to be training your replacement. Oh, interesting. Um, Crazy Axe was very good fortune for me in many ways. And one of the myriad serendipitous things that happened is that we ended up filming the show on something that could only generously be called a studio lot. It was more <laughs> like a parking lot with a... <laughs> you know, warehouses that we use as sound stages, but also production was there the stages were there. Post was there and the writers were there all in one place and there was nobody else there. Mm-hmm. So from my editing office, the stage, the set was uh, five, I don't know, 20, 30 steps away. Nice. Yeah, that's great. So I got to know the crew and I got to know the cast. And when the time came for me to leave, you know, there was concern about like, well, what's going to happen? Who's going to be dealing with covering your spot back here? Mm-hmm but I had an assistant who was great and I just spent a lot of time training her mm-hmm. to take over for me. So, and everybody knew her, they all knew her cause they all spent right. space time with her. And I'd also, right. you know, over the run of the first season, been encouraging people to spend time with her,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, right. yeah. partly because I wanted to help her and partly cause I was like, hey, this will help when I'm gone, then someone else can be here to fill in for me, right. you know? And then step by step, by the time the show was, by the time I had moved out fully from cutting, she'd taken my spot as a full-time editor. And now she's like, you know, she just cut a feature for Universal. We're never going to get her back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's cool. Well, uh, well, awesome. We should probably wrap up pretty soon. I guess uh, people, the thing is, I think originally uh, when we heard about you, it was in relation to uh, Never Have I Ever. But I feel like that show needs very little... <laughs> a uh, promotion or plugging because uh, I just keep seeing people posting on social media how sad they are that they have run out of show to watch.
0: Yeah, stunning, right? <clears throat> Especially, like I said, the timing of quarantine is one thing, but people love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you yeah, can give really quarantine good. some credit for it a little bit, but I think it's a good show. You, you yeah. know, it's, uh, it's kind of like a fourth quor- quarter show. Right or quadrant. Uh, four sorry, quadrant four quadrant show, in a way because, you know, I'm an adult male watching this, and I can relate so much to the main character, who's a how old is she? Fifteen, eighteen. I yes. mean, yeah. um, the
0: show she plays, I think, a sophomore, so sixteen. Yeah, sophomore.
1: yeah, sixteen yeah, year old girl, uh, Indian girl, and uh, I don't know. It's just and there's just this balance of edginess to. Mm-hmm authentic childhood moments to kind of broad comedy jokes and, and all done in a very cinematic way that is just moving and fast-paced and just everyone has someone to look at that they can relate to on screen um, that I just, yeah, if you don't want your kids to hear the word shit or fuck, maybe maybe you don't want young <laughs> yeah. kids watching the show, yeah, but Yeah, you, something... you don't want to have to
2: explain certain things to kids, but <laughs> right, for, but for like the, the most eight, part,
0: yeah. One of well, yeah, yeah, the primary storylines... The primary storyline is about like losing her virginity, you know, right, in, in right. 10th grade. So,
2: <laughs> so Pat, Pat, once that conversation has been uh, taken care of,
0: yeah, you know, it I, I,
2: appeals I, to everyone from thereafter.
0: It was, and it was uh, incredibly fun to work on. It's probably my most, my most favorite, like, just working experience. And maybe some of that is shaded by the fact that it was about a story that was very personal to me also, just mm-hmm. growing up as a first gen, you know.
2: Like, Have you lost your virginity yet or no?
0: Um, working on it.
2: Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. any, any
0: minute now.
1: All right. Uh, he's met all the right people. He's had all the right meetings. Just sure. the time someone says, "Who should?" Right. I <laughs> say You know, <laughs> a great
0: guy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're just trying yeah. to get on. Yeah. You know, again, you get those on whims, right? It's like yeah, we were talking yeah. about before. Sure. Yeah. It's it's a which is very personal to me too, just to be able to tell the story of like a first generation like brown kid, you know, and like yeah, yeah. You know, family who doesn't quite understand the culture and so on, but were supportive and loving, mm-hmm. um, and just to get to do that was like. You know, it was a lot of fun. And also, if you look at the way we shot those, it was a lot of fun too. I mean, the DP, Rhett, was extraordinarily good. Very good, very fast, and really chill dude. Also,
1: mm-hmm. do you are you on social media? If people want to follow you, see what you're up to.
0: Yeah, Anything? Twitter, Instagram. You know, Kabir Akhtar, spelled just like my name is, which is hard for people to spell. Should really find something simpler now that you <laughs> mentioned it. K a b i r a k h t a r.
2: Kabir, uh, are you uh, cool to hang out and endorse with us real quick? Uh, Sure. Unpaid endorsements.
1: Oren, you got anything? So we actually, we interviewed uh, a VFX uh, guy, Lawson Deming, the other day, um, who owns the company Barnstorm VFX that works on a lot of awesome TV shows. And he had recommended if you are trying to get into 3D, you should learn Blender. And mm-hmm. so I downloaded Blender, even though I'm like, a, I use this other package called Cinema 4D, but I wanted to see what it's like. Blender is totally free. And there's this guy on YouTube. His name is Blender Guru. Uh, and he... See,
0: that's easy to spell.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's a weird name for his parents to name him. But um, but it's uh, he does this tutorial where you just make this donut um, with sprinkles on it from scratch. And it, it's, uh, it's really awesome. Um, and it's really easy. And you can learn how to I I don't know. I just really like him. So if you are interested in 3D and you don't want to spend any money, uh, download Blender. It's free. And then check out this guy, Blender Guru, and he will teach you uh, everything you ever wanted to know. Do you guys want to see my donut?
2: Yeah, show us your donut. What I love about the idea of doing a donut... Oh, my God. That looks great. it, It looks great, but also it's like there's a handful of core 3D modeling principles all wrapped into one object right you have to deal with different textures you're you know yeah the icing the icing is different than the actual donut then you've yeah. got sprinkles on top and these That's sprinkles great. are like a particle
1: system and then mm-hmm. i'm actually just halfway through the course we're going to add a coffee mug and um put some coffee in there in mm-hmm. a cup and like build a little environment but i will like, say you're kind a looks- photorealistic
2: donut it looks a little light to me i think you maybe should keep it you fry it a touch longer next time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It,
1: You're yeah. joking, but that's like literally the next lesson that I'm going to watch tonight is like how to get more brown fried looking. Uh, it, it, does,
0: it does look like a little bit like a bagel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that good. is what Blender Guru also said. He's like, this kind of looks like a bagel right now, but we'll, we'll make it look like a donut. Uh, but anyway, highly recommended if you are interested at all in learning 3D. Wonderful.
0: That's cool
2: uh mine is not super <laughs> I feel like we just did, did an episode with Clark Duke where Orn and I both had maybe some of our best like smartest sounding endorsements we've ever done you know yeah. and uh he was like oh fuck and this time around it's like
1: well We're the dumbest yeah um, my
2: my endorsement is uh calabrian chilies do you guys know calabrian chilies no it's no. like the trendiest com- uh, condiment right now it's just like <laughs> they're just like a uh, treated like chilies, like a little red chili that they dice up and like you know you put in oil, kind of like you would like uh, sundried tomatoes or something like that. But they're a little sweet and a little spicy, and you can basically put them on anything, and it makes it taste fancy. Okay, Ooh. so when
1: you texted me the other day and asked me if I wanted to do it to have a co- collab with you,
2: <laughs> this is what you were referring to. Yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah. I
1: knew uh, that script after all.
2: Uh, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Calabrian chilies—they uh, go great on sandwiches. I threw some on some pizza last night. They were incredible. You can throw them in mac and cheese. Are you grinding tacos. them up into like a
0: powder, or are you just putting them? Like no, old? no,
2: no, no. So they're—they're they're wet, right? So they're treat—they're in like oil. Jalapenos, kind of, yeah, they're uh, like okay. jalapenos or something pickled like that. But or- but again, sweet. So you don't get the tang that you would with a jalapeno or a pickled onion. It's like more of like. But they they pack a decent amount of heat too, so you you a little dabble do you, which is nice because it'll last for a long time. But it's a good way to spruce up whatever you're eating if you want to add a little extra uh, funk and heat to some food. It's good little dabble do Yeah. Oh man. Very Fred Flintstone.
0: <laughs> I can't prepare.
2: I can't prepare the book to talk about. But maybe oh, I, that's that's perfect. Know, that's actually straight, sure. that, that's yeah, yeah. better than an apple corer and some chilies.
0: I could talk about like uh, you know I mean I just we went to, the last time we went to the store. I was like oh man I haven't had bread and butter pickles in so long yeah. and like really really enjoyed reconnecting with that part of my childhood. <laughs> Especially because like you know it's like it's getting hot out now here and sure, like yeah I finished all the pickles but there was still so much pickle juice that I was like what'll happen if I just drink the pickle juice from the jar.
2: I almost made a recommendation. Do you know what a pickleback is? (laughs) Is that like nickelback band? Yeah. No, a pickleback is when you take a shot of whiskey and a shot of pickle juice back to back. And it sounds disgusting, but it is delicious. Um, but it's not a thing that, you know, one frequently wants to just like take a shot of whiskey at home
0: <laughs> you know? are you kidding what have you been doing this whole I mean, quarantine
2: drinking plenty but i don't want i never Sip. want to do shots but so you can i looked it up you can do a pickleback um like a pickleback of funk yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so so basically it's uh, two shots of whiskey uh three quarters of an ounce of um lime juice and a little bit of pickle juice and it basically tastes like a like a tangy margarita, and that is a real treat as well. So oh. if you have a lot of pickle juice laying around, a pickleback cocktail is the way to go. That's, I, I, just, I just took the
0: jar of bread and butter pickle juice. And just and drank just started it. And sort of drank it, and I was yeah. like, this is so good. It I is delicious. It. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, what was the book?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, it's a friend of mine's book, Disclosure, but uh, this dude named Sopan, Deb, is a writer for the New York Times, just wrote a book called Missed Translations. Uh, which is about his um, reconnecting with his family. It's also a first gen, uh, you know, brown kid story. Um, And, you know, a trip he takes to India to reconnect with his uh, family who he didn't really know. And I really enjoyed the, uh, I feel like I've sort of been in, you know, pigeonholed now is directing like musicals and brown shows and reading about this. But I'm like, yeah. What a great story. It's just, it's just I mean, wild. Sounds to
2: see good, man. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. It's, right? just, it's
0: just cool to see these stories being told more yeah. publicly now, especially like and you know, the magic thing about Never Have I Ever to me is that it's people are not freaking out so much and being like, Oh my God, you know, like a Brown kid is normal,
2: you know? Right. Right.
0: It's just like right. kind of is normal. It was not when we were growing up. You know what I mean? Trust yeah. me. I know I was there. Sure. Um, but like that kind of, it's really cool to see. It's maybe not as exciting as the pickle juice or the apple core, which now I kind of want to get one. We did also, uh, we just ordered curtains, uh, which I'm very excited about. Got a curtain rod. Just I, oh. got delivered while we were oh. talking.
2: Oh, man. Congratulations.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's curtains for us. Very excited. Yeah.
2: <laughs> cool. Yes. Well, Kabir, this is such a treat. Um, come back anytime. You know, let us know when you got a new show to promote. And um, Oh, awesome, guys. Uh, this Thanks. This is awesome, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys.
2: Um, if you want to learn about all the things that we talked about on the show you can visit justshootapod.com we're across all social media at justshootapod and I'm at Mr. Madden I'm at O. Kaplan uh, and you should pretty much
1: just follow me on Instagram though I have been tweeting a lot but uh, not good tweets so please do not follow me on Twitter uh, our webmaster is Ewan Williams and the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar and leave us a rating on iTunes if you get a chance otherwise we will see you next time thanks